This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Polly Rulin, CEO of the United Soybean Board. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science and the Habitali app. Learn more about how you can help monarch butterflies at farmersformonarchs.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with USB's Polly Rulin next. The U.S. Department of Fish and Wildlife will soon be making a recommendation to add monarch butterflies to the nation's endangered species list. Crop Science, a division of Bayer, is encouraging farmers and landowners to plant habitat, including milkweed, to help this very important species of pollinators. Then download the app, Habitali, and record habitat that already exists, as well as your new efforts to protect monarchs. For more information, visit FarmersForMonarchs.org and be sure to record your efforts by May 31st to the Habitali app. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Polly Rulin has an extensive career in working with farmers and agriculture. She's well aware of the cyclical nature of the business, but says events like the COVID-19 pandemic are true black swans that test the mettle of industries and individuals. In some ways... There are really very few black swan events if you identify black swan as something that could not be predicted. So when you think about COVID-19 and you think about the fact that even five years ago, Bill Gates was talking about a pandemic that will hit at some point in time and will have this kind of repercussions if we don't plan for it. It's somewhat of a black swan and who knew when it was going to happen. But we did have some warning about the potential of it happening and it happening fairly soon. So when I think about that situation, I really do think about the checkoff in that the checkoff is always considering the industry's future and trying to prepare, at least in some of our programs, for what might happen or what the outcomes of what is happening now will be for farmers. For example, in COVID-19, of course, we couldn't have predicted COVID-19 specifically and at the time that it was predicted. But when I think about the checkoff and I think about food supply, And I think about logistics and dynamics in the food supply right now. There's only one place food comes from, and that's farmers. And part of the checkoff's mission is to increase the public's understanding of the importance of farmers in the food supply. So when we say we're responding to COVID-19, part of what we're doing in the soy checkoff is ramping up our efforts to talk to the people who eat in this country and others about how important the raw material production or the food production is coupled with a dependable logistics and uh, particularly dependable infrastructure in this country for food to reach consumers. I think we have a unique unique, um, opportunity right now because consumers are going to the grocery store and saying, you know, I don't have any bread. It's never in my life in the U.S. Can they remember going and not and having empty shelves, perhaps. So I think the importance of the checkoff is even highlighted, it's even more obvious, highlighted greater, during a time when we have some sort of crisis like this, where food uh, becomes unavailable, and the importance of food as a national security issue is obvious. So the checkoff works really hard to foresee what's in the future and help farmers prepare for it and ease it and maintain profitability through those times. And COVID-19 is no no different. So it was a relief to see Washington suggest that agriculture and all of the industry was an essential business. But despite the definition that came from Washington, despite this pandemic, 
farmers are still in the field. Farmers are planting, and they're looking ahead to a season despite obstacles. What does this say about them? You know, farmers are an honorable bunch, and farmers understand that social license is an agreement between people who produce food and people who eat food, and they will honor that agreement, and that is they will proceed with planting for the 2020 harvest, not just because that's their livelihood and that's their passion, but because they're honoring an agreement that they make with society to provide food to society. The farmers that I know, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate to know many, many farmers, say, listen, we're going to continue to do what we do, and that is feed people. We're going to continue to produce food. We're going to get out there in the fields. We are going to um, do our thing, and we're going to deal with the, the swings of the market. Like for right now, for example, farmers are planting. There's flooding and, and a lot of rain in some areas, and they're having to deal with supply disruptions and, and other things like that. But they're still out there. They're still producing food. And that is, that's an important thing for folks to realize about. Farming goes on, and farmers continue to honor their commitment to society to produce food. There are three entities of the soy side of the equation, the United Soybean Board, the American Soybean Association, and the U.S. Soy Export Council, each with its own mission area. In a time like now, how does each complement each other, and how are you working together? Yeah, so how do we honor our commitment to feed the world when you bring it down to brass tacks and you bring it down to uh, tactical work? The way we do that together as three sister organizations is to make sure that every organization understands its focus and its mission very clearly, and the three organizations have very clear and differentiated missions. That is, USB generally handles funding and domestic marketing, communications, and education, as well as promotion. USEC handles those things overseas for the soy complex, and ASA mines uh, soy farmers' business in the legislative and trade arena. So when we stay in our lanes, which we're doing a very good job of, of doing right now, and we work together very collaboratively, as we're also doing, we're extremely efficient for the farmer's dollar that he or she invests in our organizations, and also we make sure that we get as much done as we possibly can in crisis times and in regular times. How much of soy success is tied to the health of the domestic and the global livestock industry, and does your game change in a situation like now? Our success is tied absolutely tightly to the success of the protein industry as a whole. And I like to think about the protein industry as a whole. Protein is a category, and we are together, soy, beef, pork, chicken, and fish are all together supplying protein to the world. To your point, chicken and pork are our two biggest customers. Beef is a big customer as well. So the health of those industries is, is critically important to us, and that is why we have close partnerships with them and even in investments in a lot of their work to make sure that when the world chooses protein as a complete category, the world has a choice about what kind of protein each individual prefers in many cases and in some cases in the world what an individual can afford and what keeps them alive. So when we talk about protein as a category, all of us are linked closely together and all of our success depends on one another. United Soybean Board made a tremendous investment in time and in money to bring about high oleic soybeans. I really believe that your initial intent was the food industry, but it also seems that you have uh, found other industries and other opportunities to benefit from this miracle bean. Well, the checkoff, one of our primary missions is to build markets for soybeans. And so when we think about 
how important our animal customers are to us. We we love them and we appreciate them, but it's in the best interest of soybean farmers to continue to find new ways to use soybeans. And I always talk about soy as the magic bean. I, I talk about food, feed, fuel, and fiber because we can do it all. So some of the ways we're building markets for soybeans are international markets in the traditional food feed areas, very important to us. Um, it's important to us to continue and grow existing markets, but it's also important to us to build markets in other areas. For example, um, you mentioned hyaluric. Hyaluric has potential in industrial applications like asphalt that we didn't uh, anticipate when we first developed hyaluric technology. So we know that soy-based asphalt has been effectively used to pave several demonstration lots. It's currently undergoing Department of Transportation testing for use on public roadways. We know that it's a high-performing product and that it's a more sustainable product. So we're moving rapidly towards full commercialization of the use of soy asphalt as a replacement for petroleum binding agents. We also know that the use of soy rubber, both in tires and now in uh, in footwear by the company Skechers, is a high-performing rubber that has a superior adhesion to a lot of other rubber products. In other words, these tires stick to the road better. They're a higher-performing tire in adverse weather conditions, and that kind of research and technology also can translate into shoes, uh, and that's why Skechers has announced a whole line of running shoes using that technology on their soles and many other applications. So uh, we are we're constantly looking for new uses for the magic bean. I was thinking of a combine and the uses of soy that could be involved in that machine, the foam and the seed as it is with the Ford Mustang, the plastic and the covers on the machine itself for the snouts of the corn head. I could actually have a soy-based oil in the engine. I can have a soy-based fuel in the fuel tank. I could have tires on the machine that also had a soy base to it, and the farmer could be wearing a pair of shoes that also had soy in the soles. Uh, just from one example alone, you've got a lot of areas that you've uncovered, again, with this ability of the bean and a higher oleic content. Yeah, you do, and you didn't even mention the wire coating that soy <laughs> and the paint coating, the metal coating, to make it weatherproof that we're, we have in development with a major European company uh, that makes a lot of metal products. So, yeah, you've got a lot of ways for soy to be used, and the potential for the soy markets in the future, uh, it, it, unlimited, really. When I think of tires and asphalt and motor oil, just those three, are you at a point that any of these or all of these could bring a, a sea change in your business? Well, I'll tell you, if the technology in asphalt pans out, it is a Scandinavian country, and I think it's Sweden, that has a sustainability plan. And if you read their sustainability plan online, you can see that they mention specific things that will leapfrog any other efforts to make them more sustainable. And asphalt is mentioned by name. I think that all of those products have great potential for soy, but I am really excited about the opportunity to make our asphalt more sustainable, meaning that a soy-based asphalt lasts longer, doesn't have to be replaced as often, and more available using U.S.-grown soy and more economical than petroleum-binding agents. So asphalt, I think, is the thing that I'm the most excited about right now with its potential to really change the world to make it more sustainable. It's, it, it's an exciting opportunity. 
Technology often shines in difficult circumstances like this. So in a general question, what technology developments are you watching closely that will assist growers? And, and is the soy innovation challenge an attempt to jumpstart some of these things? You bet. So this brand new soy innovation challenge that you mentioned, another really exciting thing we're doing with Yield Lab Institute. We understand that the communication and, and the partnership all up and down the soy complex, the chain, the supply chain must be really better than it is right now to put us into the future. So we've launched a soy innovation challenge. You know, uh, one of our mottos is uh, innovation beyond the bushel. We are constantly thinking about ways to innovate. And we've launched an innovation challenge, as I mentioned, with Yield Lab Institute that calls on ag tech startups and teams to disrupt the current value chain and create additional value for farmers through information, uh, innovation, and technology that allows the chain to be closer together. In other words, the end customer to be closer to the farmer so that we can make changes more rapidly and we can make sure the farmer uh, gets a higher profit from the chain. Uh, so when we think about value chain-based product solutions and value chain support, the most promising ones will receive business coaching, entrepreneurial networking, and a prize. In the meantime, we get a lot of ideas at USB for potential ideas of the future for innovation. So we want more enhanced transparency throughout the chain. We want a facilitated alignment based on measurable sustainability parameters like soil health, like carbon sequestration, and we also, as always, want to increase our farmers' profitability while encouraging them to uptake technology that, that help them be more sustainable on farms. What does published research or your own research say about what gene editing could mean to your industry? So gene editing would allow us and does allow us in some cases to move much more quickly with genetic improvement products. Now, in ag, we often kind of refer to technology as our ability to make seeds that respond to environmental challenges, pest challenges that act as natural defense against pests, etc. So when we think about traditional gene breeding and then GMO technology, we're able to make those changes faster. But gene editing is a whole new ballgame for us as far as technology advancement and also as far as just editing genes that already exist and making that technology available to improvements rapidly. That said, there isn't a part of agriculture that isn't excited about gene editing, I don't think, for several reasons. For sustainability, uh, our ability to improve uh, seed and crop inputs at a rate that's much faster and, and allows us to use fewer crop inputs, fewer herbicides, fewer pesticides. When you count the technology that's on a tractor with the technology of gene editing, uh, our ability to be more sustainable more quickly is, is significantly enhanced. And so uh, the technology alone in agriculture these days rings such an interesting uh, sound for our future um, in sustainability. And we know that farmers' sustainability and continuing to become more sustainable is good for farming and is good for society. So we're very excited about gene editing as well as our ability to increase our access to data technologies that allow us to make real-time decisions on farms with data that we're collecting from our soil and from our fields. With your grower leaders, you brought about a restructuring to focus on oil and meal and sustainability. What have you found about the efficiency of the United Soybean Board with this target area? And which one draws the most attention or has the most potential now for you? 
Yeah, so at the Sword Checkoff, we constantly function under a long-range strategic plan that is developed and approved by our board of directors, which is 100% farmers. So that is the current strategic plan we're operating under with the targets that you mentioned. I think that any strategic plan, when done well, allows an organization to more efficiently go about the work that the board has approved. Uh, A long-range strategic plan is a measuring stick against which the board of farmers can make investment decisions so that we always make sure we understand our priorities or we're always on the same page. When it comes to meal oil and sustainability, uh, it's a very interesting mix that is changing. Our, Our industry is changing so quickly. Sustainability is, of course, becoming more and more and more important to our customers and to their consumers. Sustainability has been important to farmers since people started farming. You make your living off of healthy soil and healthy land in a sustainable environment. So that's always been important to farmers. Folks on the customer side are realizing it more and more and more, and we are happy to uh, keep doing what we're doing, which is make ourselves more sustainable day by day by day now to meet customer demands as well as the demands of the land and the, and the business. So that's really important. I will say meal has traditionally been the value in the bean. And, of course, meal is what goes into food and feed. And oil has been the product that we usually have too much of that we're trying to get rid of. With the opportunities we have in oil, I mentioned asphalt, um, we mentioned rubbers, et cetera, et cetera, paint coatings, et cetera. We have some opportunities to make oil much more profitable than it has been in the past and and to make it a player as far as competing with meal for profitability. And that said, we also have the ability to look at some industrial products that rely on meal in the manufacture of those products. So when you think about which is more profitable or which has a brighter future between meal and oil, boy, that's really hard for me to tell you right now because we have such great opportunity to advance both products and make them even more useful to society. How do growers feel now about the work of the checkoff and the return on investment that they see? I'll tell you, it's really interesting, having worked for several checkoffs, that what I see is that soy farmers particularly, the farmers that lead USB, ASA, and uh, United Soybean Export Council, are forward-thinking folks who are overwhelmingly supportive of the work that the checkoff does and who understand that their investment of the checkoff results in advances in areas of the chain that they can't keep an eye on every day. In other words, they rely on the soy checkoff to mind the promotion, the marketing, the research, the education. Those are things they understand are critically important to their businesses, but that they don't have either the time or the expertise to manage. And so I still see strong support for the soybean checkoff by soybean farmers and their relative happiness with the investments. That said, it is a very tough day to be a farmer today. For so many reasons, it's very tough to be any kind of farmer. It's especially tough to be a soybean farmer right now, given the year that we had last year, given the amount of beans we had in stocks, uh, given the challenges that continue in trade and in weather uh, and in availability of inputs, et cetera, et cetera. It is a very tough day to be a soybean farmer, and I am amazed every day at their resilience and at their willingness to continue to fight the good fight and produce food. Checkoff programs have come under additional scrutiny in Washington and across the country. Does that pushback change the way you do business? You know, I don't think it does because what I'm very cognizant of 
is for a few voices to be able to impact the efficiency that farmers see from their checkoff investments. In other words, we have an innovative program in the soy checkoff. We are not afraid to try innovations that might not work for those that will work. So we tend to be a little bit less risk averse than other checkoffs that I've worked for. Those kind of challenges where a few people are saying things largely based on misinformation or inaccurate information, be that consciously inaccurate or just ignorance. I'm very sensitive to impacting in any way the effectiveness and efficiency that soybean farmers get from their investment as an overreaction to a small number of voices. Now, am I concerned that people don't understand checkoffs? Am I concerned that every time somebody has a challenge to a checkoff, it's basically the foundation of their challenge is misinformation? Yeah, I'm concerned about that, and we're working hard to make that better, and we need to make that better. But do I let those voices at this point in time reduce the good work that the soybean checkoff does for soybean farmers uh, everywhere? No, I, I can't do that. I have to go on and do what I know is best for farmers. Well, Polly, really, we want to thank you very much. It's an awfully busy season. Thanks for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. Polly, it is Open Mic, and you get the last word today. Well, I just I appreciate it. Always a good opportunity to talk to you, Jeff, and also to talk to your audience. We in the soybean business intend to serve as an example to others. We will continue our work. We'll continue it safely. We'll continue it effectively. But what we want to do in farming is provide an example of what it means to serve society. We're going to have our noses to the grindstone. We're going to stick to what we do best, which is produce food. And we are always looking for ways to do that better uh, and, and in greater service. So, again, thank you for the opportunity. Our thanks to Polly Rulin, CEO of the United Soybean Board, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science and the Habitali app. Learn more about how you can help monarch butterflies at farmersformonarchs.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.